This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to Today with Jeff Fines. I'm your host, Aaron, one of the members on the team here at One and All Media. In this episode, we're finishing a message from Pastor Jeff that we started last time on the topic of marriage. But don't worry, no matter your relationship status, this message is for you as Pastor Jeff looks at what the Bible and Jesus says about marriage, singleness, and divorce. If you want to catch up and listen to part one of this episode or hear more series just like this one, you can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines on your favorite podcast app. Let's hear the rest of this message now with Pastor Jeff Vines. In marriage, you share the deepest, most intimate parts of yourself with your spouse. And if the deepest, most intimate part of your life is Jesus, and you share that with your spouse, and they just don't get it, you're going to feel violated. Or they laugh at it, or they're apathetic toward it, or they feel threatened by it, because that happens too. When you love Jesus and you grow toward Christ, there's a sense in which your husband or your wife's going to feel like you're growing away from them. It's almost like you've got a new love in your life, if it's not properly understood. The point is, You cannot have, listen, you cannot have a deep, intimate relationship with anybody who does not share your center. And that's why the advice is don't be unequally yoked. It's not a closed minded, bigoted statement. It's just a life living principle. Let me say this the closer you get to Jesus, the farther you move away from your husband. In some respect, now let me explain. On one side, the closer you get to Christ, the closer you're going to get to your husband. And the better wife you're going to be because the more you become like Christ, the more sacrificial, the more understanding, the more merciful, the more forgiving because you're becoming conformed to the image of Jesus. So in some ways, you're going to be a better wife. But in other ways, you're growing away from your husband if you're growing toward Christ. Your centers are getting farther and farther separated. And there's a part at which he can't understand you. And the problem with that is there can never be ultimate intimacy unless you share an ultimate center. And that's why even people who have been married for years still don't know what ultimate intimacy is about. Because of this, there are most of you singles that have passed up some pretty, well, worthy prospects. You've fallen for the lie of the ideology of image. When you go into a room and you see a bunch of single people, let's say you go to a singles event, and I know singles hate singles events, but let's say you go to, and here's what you do. By default, because you've been programmed by the world around you, you go in and you start just singling out people, pushing them to the side based on how they look before you even talk to them. Ah, he's too tall. She's too short. He's too dark. She's too light. And it goes on and on. And the problem is you're pushing people to the side that there's a great commonality. There could be a great, great potential 
for a connection because of the center that you share. And in the Bible, it assumes that when you meet somebody whose center you share, that physical attraction will grow out of that. And that makes for a great marriage. We've reversed it in America. We look for somebody who is self-consumed with their own image. And when you marry somebody that's self-consumed with their own image, that's exactly what you're going to get for the rest of your life. I'll never forget when my wife came up to me and said, Jeff, we finally have something in common. I said, what? And she said, we both love you. (laughs) And I had to think about that. She's right. And so the molding and the shaping had to begin. I I look around, I see all these beautiful women, single women, and I'm wondering, where are the guys? You know, I I meet them all the time. Hey, would you pray for me? I really want to be married, looking for a Christian. And and, and I started doing a little research, and I see everything. I've told you that. All seeing eyes right here. And you you go on Facebook, and I see some of these single young guys, and I, I, I think by their Facebook posts, this is how they believe they get a girl. They will post pictures of themselves on Facebook without their shirt on. They think that women are going to go on there and say, wow, and they're saying wow, but not for the reason you think they are. They're saying, wow, talk about self-consumption. Cancel that one out. You want to post a photo on Facebook of yourself to draw a young Christian woman? Here's how you do it. Post a picture of yourself reading your Bible or on your knees in prayer. That'll go a lot further than you without your shirt on. I'm simply saying that the longer I've been in uh, ministry, the, 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 the more I'm convinced that a woman wants to give herself to a man who gives himself to something greater than himself. That's what she's looking for. Now, listen, please. You cannot be fully intimate with anybody who has not given you a full devotion or full covenant. Full intimacy, complete intimacy comes as a result of a full commitment of covenant. That's why when a guy says to you, well, I love you, but I don't want to marry you, what he means by that is by saying, I love you, but I don't want to cancel out all my other options just yet. And in that relationship, there can never be full intimacy because there's never been full commitment. So there's going to be couples go through their entire lives, never know what it is to be really intimate with another person because you can't have that full intimacy outside of full devotion and covenant commitment. It's one of the hardest things for a man to learn is that right there, that a woman gives herself completely to a man who has given himself completely to her. And I can tell you this about marriage. Some of you young people are going to laugh. Oh, what does he know? He's 49 years old. Let me tell you something. I'll tell you what I know is that the physical side of marriage gets better with age, not worse, but it only gets better if there's a full covenant and commitment that's been made. Because let me tell you something. Friendship does not come out of sex. People having sex all the time, they don't ever become friends. Sex comes out of friendship. Deep, intimate friendship of a full covenant commitment leads to a great physical side of marriage. And that's why that aspect of marriage gets better with age, not worse. Because you know the person more intimately as the years go by. But you only know them more intimately if you're committed to know them more intimately. And if you're in this for keeps. Number one, the essence of marriage is covenant. The purpose of marriage is companionship. Remember, you're not only marrying who they are now, but who they will one day be. And third, the power of marriage is creation. The ability to create new life. 
okay, I've got some dry ice here. We've got two separate entities coming together here, and this kind of illustrates what can happen in a marriage. Two separate entities, and this is what happens when the two become one, right? Men and women are very different people, very different entities. They come together, and you take the dry ice, and you put it in here, and it's amazing what starts to happen. You can either have, as you have these two entities coming together, it's gonna, you can look at this one of two ways. This is kind of a cool effect, and I know I've lost every 16-year-old under, in the room, and they're never going to pay attention to any word I say after this. They're just going to keep watching these bubbles. But you take this, and you can kind of, it's really cool what dry ice can do. It kind of just kind of, you know, just disappears. But... You can look at this as you bring two entities together and it's either going to erupt. Look at this. You can, on one hand, you can say, wow, that's beautiful. It's just overflowing with joy and beauty and it's so vivid. It's just so wonderful. And I just, I could stay here forever because I like to play with it. It's just kind of cool what you can do. <laughs> on the other hand, you can say, this is the potential for two entities coming together. See what it's bubbling over. It's a volcanic reaction. It's going to be destructive and it's going to destroy everything in its path. Right? Those are the two ways marriage can end up and they often do end up, always do end up one or the other way. And here's the illustration of this. Here's what, here's what marriage does, and I think we forget this, the power that it has. Matter of fact, Jesus believed that there's no other entity. No other entity has as much influence, power over your life than marriage. Now, other than the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, no other relationship, entity, has that kind of power. You know why? I've seen it a thousand times. A girl, we'll call her Teresa. I'm not gonna tell you her real name, Walks into a room and she's almost apologetic for being there. She, I apologize for breathing air. I'm sorry. So low self-esteem, no confidence whatsoever. What's interesting is that she's a beautiful young girl, but she's been told all of her life, the accumulation of everything that she's been told tells her that she's not worth anything and she has just no confidence. Then she gets married. And in the course of about three years, everything changes. Suddenly, we see this woman walk into a room with her head held high. She moves out into her world with creativity and effectiveness. Whatever she puts her hand to seems to succeed. And you trace it back, and here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a man who told his wife, I love you. You have whatever it takes to be successful. Pay no attention or mind to what people might have said to you in the past. I'm telling you, you're beautiful. You're gorgeous. You have talent. You have ability. And all of a sudden, the marriage spouse has the ability to create a new person. And I've seen that happen numerous times. I've seen a man who has no confidence to move out into his world. He can't keep a job. He, he thinks he's a loser. He doesn't think he can provide for his family. And then all of a sudden, the wife changes in her Christian belief, and she understands the power she has as a wife. And suddenly, she starts to tell him, you're handsome. I love you regardless. I'm on your side. Now, you go out there. And she doesn't nag at him. She doesn't criticize him. She keeps telling him. She keeps valuing him. She keeps giving him words of affirmation. Suddenly, he turns into this Superman. He goes out. He gets a great job. He has a great career. He takes care of his family. Everything changes. That's the power of marriage. In fact, your spouse has the power to challenge the accumulated authority of all the verdicts that have ever been passed down to you. All the things you've heard, your self-esteem is based on all the things, all successes and failures of your life. And then you get married and your husband or wife can change it all, can challenge everything that you heard about yourself and set you out on the road to incredible victories. But I'll tell you, they can also do the opposite. There are many women in this room right now, and there are many men in this room right now that it didn't happen that way. What the wife did is said, you're no good. You can't keep a job. Why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like my first husband or my boyfriend? Same thing, 
Same thing with the wife. Same thing with the husband. The husband says, you're not beautiful. You, why, why don't you lose some weight? Why don't, you, why don't you go out and work, get a job, do something? You just, and just, just at each other and it explodes all right, but it doesn't explode with vitality and health. It explodes with death and destruction, which means you better think about what kind of spouse this person's going to make you as the years go by before you enter into a covenant, Right? Because you're not only marrying the person for who they are, you're marrying them for what they will become. Essence of marriage is covenant. Purpose of marriage, companionship. Power of marriage, creation of new life. And ultimately, Jesus is saying in these verses, when you choose, choose wisely, because it's forever. Now, okay. However, and this is the hard part, and this is where I really need your attention, Jesus makes an allowance clause. It's interesting. Here's what he says in verse 6 of 19. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. This terminology right here is the terminology of amputation. And here's what Jesus is going to say. Jesus is going to say, okay, divorce does happen. It's part and parcel of life. In fact, one out of every two marriages end in divorce. And every child living right now under the age of five most probably will not have both his parents or her parents through his adolescence or her adolescence age. Now, Jesus says that when you think of divorce, although we know it does happen, and it it can happen, it does happen, Jesus says, I just want you to understand that the ramifications are not simply like changing clothes. The ramifications are like an amputation. Now, you think about what he's saying here. If you go to the doctor and the first thing your doctor says is, Pastor Jeff, something wrong with your arm, let's cut it off. That's his answer for everything. Just cut it off. That's not what you want to happen, right? You want him to try everything under the sun before he considers amputation. And you only want him to consider amputation when, this is important, when there's a chance that the rest of the body will die if you don't cut it off, right? Now, Jesus says, understand, divorce is like an amputation. So here's what happens. The disciples respond. Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus' response was, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted. Now, you see the difference? He's saying, you're misinterpreting Deuteronomy 4. He did not command you to get a divorce. He permitted you to get a divorce. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. He said, God instituted marriage. He wanted marriage, the covenant to last and for it to last forever like his covenant with you. But in this case, because sin has entered the world, Jesus says, God has made an exception clause. And here's what it is. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now look at this. By inference, the way this is written, Jesus is saying, if you divorce your husband or wife for the purpose of sexual immorality and you marry another, you do not commit adultery. So anytime Jesus allows for divorce, he allows for remarriage because you're no longer bound by the law. Now, the question is, what is immorality? What is the thing that Jesus says, I'm going to allow for divorce? And some of your translations will say sexual morality because the Greek word is porneia. Now, here's the problem with porneia. Stay with me. This is important stuff. 
Porneia is a wide, it's an exhaustive word. As a matter of fact, let me read you a quote from the most conservative scholar I know, so I'm going as far right wing as I can. And still, here's what he says. This is from John MacArthur. This is a term that encompasses all sorts of sexual sins, both here and in Matthew 5.32. Jesus includes this exception clause, clearly permitting the innocent party in such a divorce to remarry without incurring the stigma of the one who commits adultery. Now, here's what MacArthur's saying. Jesus gave us a clause. Yes, when you enter marriage, it should be a covenant, and it's for life, and it's for companionship, and the power to change each other is there, but because sin has entered the world, Jesus says, I'm going to give you, there is an exception clause, and the exception clause is when your husband or your wife engages in the type of sexual immorality that the only thing to do is cut off and amputate before it destroys the wife and the children or the husband and the children. See what he's saying? And sexual immorality, and this could mean, it could be an addiction to pornography. It could be a woman using sex as power to get what she wants. It could mean adultery. That's part of it. But pornea includes all those sexual sins of asking your spouse to do something they're not comfortable doing. And the point Jesus is making is there's something that happens internally to you when you consistently engage in sexual immorality. There is a poison that gets into you that then, if we don't cut you off from the rest, you'll poison everybody around you. Paul echoes this in 1 Corinthians 6 when he said, flee from sexual immorality, same word. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Here's what he's saying. When you came to the cross, you gave your body and soul to the Lord. And because of that, God placed his Holy Spirit within you. Now that you are the temple of the living God. Now here's the problem. When the temple of the living God engages in sexual immorality, whatever kind it is, if he engages or she engages and they continue to do it without repentance, if they continue over time, because a lot of you are saying, man, I've been looking for this loophole. My husband looked at pornography 10 years ago one time. Now I got license. I'm out of here. No, no, no. That's not what this is about. You've got to see this as an amputation. You try everything you can that's possible to save this. But there might come a time when the habit is so habitual and it's so destructive and it's starting to change him because all other sins are outside. This is inside. It creates a poison in your spouse that the poison starts to leak over to you and to your children. And at that point, Jesus says, I'm going to give you permission to amputate and to divorce and to remarry. There's a verse actually over in uh, 1 Corinthians 7 where the apostle Paul says, if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. What are you saying? He's saying another case is where two people are married and one becomes a believer and the other is not. Don't leave your spouse. Stay. Who knows whether your testimony of what Christ-like life is like, that you might save him. But if the unbeliever does decide to leave, Paul says, let him go. And you're not bound. And that's a term of law. You're no longer bound in such cases. And anytime Jesus allows for divorce, he allows for remarriage. Now, the disciples hear this and here's what's going through their mind. They're saying, man, are you telling me this, this is not good? Are you telling me the only way that I can get divorced is if my wife uh, does some sexual immorality. You mean, I can't just say, I'm tired of you. I'm going to try a newer model. Uh, I'm going to move on from this man. He's not giving me enough money. I want to try another one. You, you can't do that. And the disciples realizing that say this in verse 10 of Matthew 19. 
If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. This is too hard, they say. When I, uh, when I was playing basketball in high school, we had a new coach come in and he brought all the players in and sat us down and told us what the requirements would be to play on his team. Now, we had just gotten rid of a coach who was very lackadaisical and didn't demand hardly anything and we were a disaster as a team. Same group of young men. This new coach comes in and he, he gives us these rules. He says, guys, if you're gonna play on this team, here are the rules. Number one, you're gonna be in bed by 10 o'clock at night. Number two, no girlfriends. Oh, these were the good old days. <laughs> when you could do that without a parent suing you or the school. Three, you're gonna be in the weight room at 6.30 every morning. Those are the worst words a 16-year-old could hear. And when he said that, and he started going, and, and, and man, he was like a military man. I remember thinking, I'm out of here, forget that. I might could do the locker room, I might could do the gym, but for, no girls, forget it. I mean, you tell a 16-year-old no girls, I mean, that's like the end. Why live then? Why live? So he kept going on. And you know, I wanted to quit, but I couldn't. I couldn't because I loved the game too much. And my dad said, hang in there, man. You never know what's gonna happen. And I'll tell you what happened, something beautiful. The things I learned on that team, discipline, going to war together, getting your friends back, you know, the, the band of brothers type thing, the things I learned there have served me well through my entire life. And it's why now that I just refuse to give up just because things are hard. It's why now there are certain disciplines in my life. I learned them at a young age. That's what marriage is going to be like, folks. It's going to be hard. There's going to be sacrifice. There's going to be commitment. You're going to have to draw parameters. But I got to tell you, being part of that team where all of a sudden we were winners, and man, it, I would not trade that for anything, man, to go through those battles, but to enjoy the, the thrill of the victory and to be together and the camaraderie and the relationships, man, and the fun we had. Let me tell you, Marriage might require a lot, but the dividends are incredible. It's intimacy. It's community. It's love. It's all the things ultimately we're looking for. Found right there in the marriage relationship when the center is God. All those things begin to flow. Some of you are looking around and you say, you know, we got some happy marriages in here, but I know why they're happy. They're happy because they don't have the problems. Who are you kidding? Every marriage in this building has problems every single one of them. But there are some people who enter into marriage with this thought, this is a public commitment and covenant. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this work. This is about companionship and community and intimacy. This is about the power to change each other so that both of us can be closer to Christ and be conformed to his image. So I'm in it. So when troubles come, they don't say, well, you know, I gave it a good try. I'm going to, no, they're in it. They're in it. And even though there's an exception clause, they try everything they can to make it work until they have to amputate before the poison leaks into the entire family. Now, here's what's happening right now. You're saying, Pastor Jeff, this is supposed to be a message about now what? And I want to tell you something. Some of you are saying, well, Jeff, I blew it. <laughs> now I know why my marriage didn't work. I didn't go in with covenant. What do I do now, Jeff? I've been divorced. Where do I go now? Or what about my marriage is in shambles right now? Can you help me right now? What do I do to save it? Man, I can't wait to... The answer is fabulous. It's so encouraging, man. And you got to come back next week to hear it. <laughs> Father, I want to thank you for the power of Matthew 19. I pray right now in Jesus' name, that, that I would have not belittled any situation in any way, that if there's somebody here that just finds this whole matter uh, too serious to laugh, I, I pray, Father, for forgiveness there where we've made 
laughter out of something so serious. I, I pray that though, that we would have a new understanding that you love us, that you're right there with us in every relationship, and that divorce is not the unforgivable sin, and there should not be the scarlet letter or the stigma. The reality is you want our marriages to work, some, oftentimes more than we do, and I pray that we would become a place that enters into marriage a serious decision with a covenant and with companionship and with the power to change each other. And I pray for those who have been through very difficult relationships where there's been abuse and where there's been cruelty. I pray that you'd bring them back next week, that they could hear the rest of the message and be encouraged of the depth and the width of your love and where to go from here. And I pray that we as a church and we as a people would never give up on marriage. That, Father, it is a great gift from you. And when it's entered into with the right person for the right reason, with you as our center, the joy that it brings is indescribable. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.